We all have a story to tell. Let's tell yours. Welcome to the Intellectual People Podcast with your host, Jason. Come together and listen to journey stories and more from interesting people. Welcome your host, Jason. I often post on various audio forums, and I want to take this time to just thank them. In no particular order, they are audioscienceReview.com, audioroundtable.com, audiocircle.com, audiophilestyle.com, avnirvana.com, diyaudio.com, gearspace.com, and the Parts Express Forum. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate your viewership and enjoy. Today on the Intellectual People Podcast, I have John from JDS Labs. How are you doing today, John? I'm well, and you? Very well, thank you. John, what is JDS Labs? So in short, JDS Labs is, first of all, my initials. Uh, when I founded this company, I had no idea I was founding a company, and it became much more successful than I ever envisioned. So JDS Labs today is a company which helps people enjoy some of the world's best headphones. Have you always been into headphones and music? Absolutely. Really? Yeah. yeah. When did that start? Uh, so I flew out to see my, my father in Phoenix, Arizona uh, when I was, I think, in second grade. And he had to work during the day and had someone else watching us. He handed me his set of uh, Sony Walkman somethings. I don't know what they were. It was just an FM radio headset. So I sit there you know, for a few hours throughout the day just listening to whatever music was playing in the area. And there weren't a lot of stations where he was. And I think that was, that was really the point in my life where music became really important to me. And from then on, I took those, those headphones home and I listened to them for years. Great. Yeah. And you are an electrical engineer, correct? Correct. Through high school, were you always interested in electronics? I was always interested in electronics. I, I was really not certain. I'm still not certain that I am a, an official electrical engineer. So what happened was I went to uh, the University of Missouri Rolla. And if you're not familiar with the University of Missouri Rolla, which is no longer the name of the school, it, it's where all the nerds go in Missouri. So <laughs> I graduated near the top of my high school class, not that that matters by any means. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was trying to get away from my girlfriend at that time. Um, so I, I went out there and I'll, I'll just, I'll say I, I still struggled for the first two years trying to figure out what am I doing here? And for the longest time, I thought I was going to become a psychologist or something. Hmm. And I thought, you know what? This is not the place for me. All these people are really boring. Uh, so I was about to transfer, and I met who is now my wife. Okay. So I ended up not transferring. She's a, a fantastic person, and, and the company would not be what it is today without her guidance and uh, personality. Um, but long story short, no, I, I did not intend to be an electrical engineer. And she claims what happened was they brought me into the counseling department, which you have to do to select your, your major. And it was more or less a random choice at the time. The guy said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I like electronics. He said, okay, you're an electrical engineer. And you're welcome to change it at any time. Just come back and see me. It stuck. That Literally, it was that simple. It was that simple, yeah. Otherwise, I, I would be studying psychology or philosophy right now. So I guess somebody's thankful that didn't happen. Is your wife also an electrical engineer? No, no. She's a fantastic chemical engineer. Chemical engineer. Chemical I got engineer. you. Yeah. Okay. Does she work outside of JDS as well? And then she helps you with JDS? I, I don't let her in this building yeah. <laughs> today. Uh, no, she's, she's, you know, behind any successful person uh, tip, tends to be a good partner. Absolutely. Um, and there have been times early in my career where I absolutely did not know what I was doing. You don't start a company and ever know what you're doing. Sure. And uh, she's been that one person that has helped me see opportunities and the path forward. Great. How did JDS Labs come about? 
Oh, well, about 14 years ago, I was trying to trying to put an iPod into my car stereo. I had a set of RCA inputs, you know, the phono left and right connectors. And I plugged it in, and it was super quiet. I could barely hear the thing. I turned the volume all the way up. I had this nice stereo with, you know, aftermarket speakers and amplifiers and all that. It was just the signal was so much lower than the expected input. So I Googled, how, how can I make this louder? And I came across the Simoy headphone amplifier from 1998, I believe. I built one. I bought the parts. And my car really suffered from a lack of bass. So I added a bass boost circuit. And I've got to credit the guy who did this. Uh, JDS Labs would not be here today without, without uh, TCON of A and B Laboratories. I've never mentioned this before, but that guy founded this company because he gave me a one-line reply in a message board and said, hey, just put this capacitor and this resistor right here. That's all you've got to do, and you've got bass boost. And so I did, and it worked. And I'm not sure I ever said thank you. So T, if you're out there, thank you very much. <laughs> Um, and that was it. I just, I had too many parts. I, I built one. I thought, wow, this is great. Now I can hear my music in my car. I have bass boost. I fixed that problem. And I just started sharing the, the excitement on eBay. Out of college, did you have other electrical engineering jobs? No, no, not at all. Uh, this, this was, <laughs> this is straight out. This was right in the middle of college. Yeah. So okay. I, I think I was a freshman or sophomore when I had that DIY experience. Um, so that that was a side gig for the longest time. I did take a, an internship right during the 2007 or 2008 financial crisis. Mm -hmm. I think it was right before that. And then the economy crashed. Gotcha. Yeah. You post that on eBay and it's well received. It was very well received. So 14 years ago, there were, there was not the market you see today in the headphone amplifier industry. Right. There was there was nothing really. It was either DIY or spend five hundred dollars, which I did not have at the time, and uh, that was it. And you didn't know what you're getting. There were no measurements. There were no reputable reputable brands uh, to speak of. So DIY was the way to go. How did JDS Labs evolve from the automotive? audio sound system to headphone amps. How, how did that transition come about exactly? I guess it would help to, to explain the product. So I'll tilt you over here. Can you see that? I can. Great. So that, that is the first headphone amplifier we created. And it was the CMOI BB, which was the Chumoy Bass Boost Edition amplifier, essentially. Um, it was a headphone amplifier from the start. That, that's how we got founded. Um, I think it was about $59 when we first put it onto eBay. My wife and I were putting these together uh, for a number of years. And slowly we listened to the customers' feedback. And we continued to build features and improve the products that we were offering over time. And uh, it took a number of years to, to grow into ultimately the face of the objective movement, we'll call it. Did you have to eat all those Altoids to uh, get all those cases? Yeah. Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, gallons and gallons of, of Altoids. And interestingly, we found a few people scattered throughout the country that were really into peppermint Altoids. I do not know how these people consumed so many Altoids, but there was a lady that said, I will take whatever you can send me. Don't worry about the pounds. Just mail it my direction and I will pay for your shipping costs. So literally, you would buy Altoids, empty them into a jar, and then ship those Altoids out to somebody else. I was paid to paid to ship Altoids to somebody who could eat them faster. That's funny. I don't know. I don't know. Do, and certainly, that person still doesn't contact you, begging you for that product to come back so they can get your Altoids, do they? You know, I'm concerned for her health. I, I don't know if she's still with us. Okay. You cut her off. <laughs> After that product what came about then it was well received right oh yeah yeah absolutely it, yeah we were selling a, a large number i could barely keep up and i actually took a full-time job right after the financial crisis because everybody was at the time like thinking that the world is ending financially speaking 
So I, I took a job with the Army Corps of Engineers and I would get up early in the morning, drive to work, and then I would come home and work again for another six to eight hours. Yep. So uh, we did that for two years. At that point, I realized I was going to lose my mind. So rather than continue to work two jobs, I said, okay, well, this is either going to be successful or it's not going to take this seriously. I put my two weeks notice in and uh, around that time, the NWAV guy had appeared and I was really excited about this project because I, I re realized what I was trying to achieve was better audio. Everyone that gets into this industry believes they're building something that's better. True. But I was passionate about this particular DIY project. Um, and it, it, that was the turning point. So I, I brought in my brother-in-law and we, we started uh, building a lot of objective twos. Can you explain who NWAV guy is? Because have, you actually know him, right? No, I don't. I don't <laughs> you're, you're another one that doesn't know him. Once again, yeah. Everyone assumes that NWAV guy must know JDS. JDS must know yeah. him. Uh, it, I had an email address, an, an anonymous email address, I should say. So I was able to talk to him while he was around, and that was the extent of it. But I, I did not have a, a physical shipping address. I did not know his real name. Can you explain the the who in terms of what you know and what he did accomplish for those that might not know who he is because he hasn't been at, at least in the public eye for quite a few years now? So NWAV guy appeared around 2010 or 2011, and he he started a blog, which is still available. You're welcome to go, go look at that. Links below. Great. Um, the idea was that at the time there were still no reputable brands producing headphone amplifiers and digital to analog converters in terms of, of measurements. The vast majority of the market consisted of companies selling what we've collectively referred to as snake oil products that are magical. They, they will transform your, your listening experience yet power was not discussed. Output impedance was not discussed total harmonic distortion, noise figures, they were either not measured or not understood or definitely avoided by the manufacturers at the time. And NWAV guy sparked a great amount of interest saying, okay, we can st start measuring these products and determine how they actually perform and set benchmark criteria of, criteria of transparency. He uh, created quite a, a debate. I think it was on HeadFi at the time, upsetting a number of people in several different communities for his attitude. Yep. What he did ultimately, though, created a disruptive movement in the community because they said, okay, well, if you've got such great ideas, why don't you do something you know, yourself? Make it better. Show us how it's done. He did, and that was called Objective 2. Uh, it was measured on an audio precision D-Scope Series 3. All of the benchmark criteria was published in his blog. And at the time, it outperformed everything to my knowledge. So that's the backstory on NWAV Guy's moniker. And that is his moniker, not his actual name for those that might question it, right? Right. So you got one of those objectives, right? Well, by got I I fabbed a pile of circuit boards. Yes, yes. Okay. It, it was completely a DIY movement, and my memory is a little fuzzy. I know I was I was sitting in my my house at the time. I saw him post the project after I had been loosely following his his blog, and I was one of the first people in the world to see that blog post go live with the objective too. I was one of the first to comment on it. So I ordered circuit boards. I ordered parts. I put them together and thought, okay, well, we'll just do this like I've done before. We'll, we'll put a few on the website, and see if there's any interest. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, to, not to sell or share numbers, but we, we became the worldwide leader in the Objective 2, and that continued for roughly 10 years. Wow. I did not realize it was that long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we finally put it to bed 
last year. We said that enough is enough. We're tired of building objective twos and we retired the product. Did you have to pay him any royalty for using his design? No, nothing was ever asked except for attribution. That was it. That was it. And he never contacted you being pleased with what you did with his original design. And there was no appreciation at all. Not a word. We took it very seriously. We assumed that he could come back any minute and, and we followed his rules. We, we followed the license for 10 years. We, we did our best work and we tried to keep it honest. That's great. And then what happened? How did you get to your next project? Your next product, I should say. One thing that that we had struggled with early in my career uh, at JDS Labs was how do you keep moving forward? Right. And it was a mistake that I made for a, a long time to try to not move forward, to try to hold the industry back and say, this is as good as it gets. You don't need anything else. And we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Buy, yeah. it, or, buy it or don't buy it. Um. How did we get to our next product? Well, it was it was a, an interesting experience, and I, I, I could go into a number of stories, but one thing that I think really pushed us towards moving forward was four or five years in, a company out of California called Massdrop came in and suddenly tried to sell the objective too. I panicked at the time. I was a young entrepreneur. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> And I was like, how, you know, we're the face of this. Right. And I, I talked with some of our partners in, in the DIY industry. We had, uh, you know, partners in Germany. We had others in the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada. And we all worked together collaboratively. We, we got along. Um, and not a single one of us was, was pleased with the fact that Mastrop was trying to so-called help the community. Right. I understood it though. I, I could not be angry because I had sat down and had lunch. My wife and I went to California, sat down in San Francisco about a year earlier and spoke with one of their founders. Mm. Great guy. Fantastic. I, I really like the guys that, that started that company. And they told me exactly what they intended to do with their business plan long-term. I, I understood and I respected it. So there was nothing that I could do legally or you know, in a business sense to combat the fact that a larger company was some somehow going to try to take market share. And that was how I viewed it at the time. I, I thought it was, it was a danger. It was a threat. So I said nothing after talking to everyone. The idea was let's let the community decide and let's grow from this. It took me three years, three years to do what I wanted to do. I walked into uh, one of one of my employees' offices, and I said, "We're going to discontinue Objective Two. We're going to make something better." She stared at me and said, "That's ninety percent of your revenue. What, what are you going to do?" I said, "I'm discontinuing it. We're going to make something better." Right. <laughs> well, it turned out that the community backed us. We continued to sell, actually better than ever because of Mass Drops event there was a strong amount of trust in our brand. And I re finally realized years later, trust is important. Right. You, you don't succeed without trust. So we were thankful that we, we had as much time as we did and we saw our sales grow because suddenly the objective two was properly marketed. Uh, we, Interesting. <laughs> can't complain. Who made that, that objective two better? Was it you and you mentioned an employee, was he or she an electrical engineer or just a lot of electronic experience? Please walk us through that. So uh, actually, the, it's been a while. That was yeah, years ago. This lady, uh, her name was Alyssa. I'll leave it at that. Uh, she, she just helped handle everything. When you're in a small company, you need someone who is versatile, who can yep. handle purchasing, who can handle phone calls and support occasionally ship things and run production floors. She did everything. It was just the go-to person to, to have a discussion and get something done at the time. Who actually came up with the design for the objective two? Who came up with the design? So that was entirely NWAV guy. Were you the only employee at the time that had circuit knowledge 
when the when you decided I'm done with the O2, I'm going to come up with this new product. Were you the only circuit designer? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I, I was the only qualified electrical engineer on the team. Okay. So in every great product, or I shouldn't say great product, in every product design, there's always design goals. Would you agree? Absolutely. What were your design goals? The design goal for us was was two, twofold. First was the fact that it took half an hour to build an objective two. And that was the biggest frustration because there was no scale. You could not scale the product. Anytime we had a, an influx of orders, it was all hands on deck. Let's put these together. We wanted to eliminate that burden. So okay. first and foremost, we wanted it to be easy to assemble and, uh, and you know, just simple. We didn't want to have to spend that much time on it. The second- And, and for those listening, the way you reduce that hands-on-deck time is to have uh, circuit boards with surface mount parts rather than through-hole, meaning that one person has to solder every single component on that board, right? That is right, yeah. Okay. Number two. Number two, the Objective 2 had been so successful because of its benchmark performance uh, we knew we needed to outperform the objective too. It was really simple. Sure. Make it easier to build, outperform what we'd already done. Sounds easy. Execution. It was so easy. Yeah. Really difficult though, right? Uh, difficult in that we we were still uh, still a fairly young company. Uh, keep in mind, by 2015, I had this had been my day job for four years. I had a handful of people on on the team, yep. and we were all under 30 years old. We had no experience. <laughs> did you own any equipment? Did you have an audio precision? Did you have maybe a little uh, CNC machine for prototyping? Did you have maybe a 3D printer for case prototypes? Or how did you get through that process of having enough equipment to even build prototypes? Well, we had a number of distractions over the years. Uh, some of it I can talk about and some I cannot due to NDAs. Um, the, one of the first things we acquired was the Prism D-Scope Series 3, which was the same analyzer as NWAV guy had used. Okay. That, that was acquired, I think, in 2012, and, and we used it to, to prototype various projects. So it was the only audio analyzer we had for years. Uh, meanwhile, I should back up and say, I thought we were going to have a ton of success uh, with, with all the projects in between Atomamp and Objective 2. And I've lost count by now how many projects we, we actually released or thought this was going to be the next big thing. <laughs> you don't just have one big success and then another big success back to back. That's not how it works. Uh, so in the meantime, I nearly bankrupt the company. Um, wow. Yeah, and we, we were doing really well. We, I should say we've, we've had a profitable year every single year except the year we launched the element. And to understand that is... Uh, I bought a machine shop. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't just buy a prototyping machine. We bought a prototyping machine the year before, and that, that we found was insufficient. It didn't achieve what we needed. So we invested very heavily. We put almost all of our cash and liquidity right into a machine shop because to see the, the vision through of building the JDS Labs element, if you're not familiar, it's a, a machine block of aluminum with one of the biggest knobs in the industry on the top. You can only make it on a CNC. Right. And the only way we could achieve our, our target pricing for this product, which at the time, again, we thought this was going to compete with our own objective too and, and <laughs> replace it, um, was to do it in-house. If we had contracted out the element, it would cost twice as much. Excellent. And it's all made here in the USA, correct? That's right. Still to this day, the, the machine shop, I don't know if you can hear it. They've got their fans quiet right now. But uh, yeah, there's a, a big wall between our 8,000 square foot warehouse to, to try to sound deaden the fact that we've got two 12,000 RPM spindles running most of the time. Understood. Yeah. Do you believe that you've met those two goals and have a better performing product? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how is it received? 
so the first, I'll try to try to walk you through some of the notable products along the way. Please. Yeah. So the first element was released uh, roughly in 2015, and I remember the immediate feedback was just frightening. <laughs> I spent I spent all this this time and energy. We spent, uh, you know, all of our waking hours. At the at the time, I was still learning how to be an executive, how to have leadership, how to have vision, how to help the employees run the company. And I had put so much energy and so much passion into building the element. And we put it out there and the response was almost like crickets. People stared at it and wondered, well, why does it cost so much? And I'm sitting there thinking, it costs so little. (laughs) (laughs) It costs so little. And and I was still really passionate and excited about what we had done. We had achieved our vision, and Element was was a breakthrough in terms of manufacturing for us. But it wasn't viewed uh, as a successful marketing release mm. because we we didn't know what we were doing uh, as as young people who had no business experience. We for quite a while struggled to understand, well, what exactly do we need to do differently? How can we, how can we improve and, and grow from this and make future product releases better? We listened to a lot of feedback and I think it took a year or two to, to get back to a point of stability. Um, so we, we started a beta team and one of our guys sent out, I think the EL DAC, the EL AMP, these are JDS Labs products, and what would eventually become OL DAC, which was to replace the objective DAC that matched up with the NWAV guy objective too. So we had all these small projects in the works and we were trying to understand, do people actually want these? Hmm. Are these going to succeed or not? So well before we even attempted a release, we sent a dozen or so of these products out to various people all over the world. And we just sent a small card. We said, we measured it. Here's how it measures. Here's how you operate it. Let us know what you think. Should we change anything? And how did that go? Well, what we learned was everyone's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was no bad feedback. Everyone just said, this is great. Yeah, go for it. Release it. I'm really excited. And that wasn't really what we were looking for. So we we had, again, failed to understand what we needed to do. And we released all of these products anyway. Um, we, we altered them to some extent in terms of appearance and features based on some feedback. But ultimately we were still questioning, well, what do we need to build that can be that can help us move forward and, and benefit the community? We, we were still really trying to understand, do people care about measurements? Do they care about aesthetics? Do they care about features? And we just, we were trying to understand how we could help these people because I should get back, back to the beginning and say, I'm passionate about audio. You know, let's, let's get down to it. I enjoy music a lot. It, um, but it's, it's hard to, to, to be both a marketer and a business leader and a manager. All those three together is, is, is really challenging. And that's what one needs to do as a, a small business owner. I would like to know how you overcame those challenges, though. How did you overcome those challenges? I think the that's a difficult question to answer. And how we overcame was persistence. So despite not having a strong marketing foundation, put the products out there and listened, especially to the communities. We listened to people on Reddit. We listened to people on HeadFi. We listened to everyone we could possibly from and try to understand what do they think? How do they feel about each of these designs? And right after we released the element, we understood that we had released a top-notch product, but it lacked the feature set that, that people wanted. They wanted suddenly to have preamp RCA outputs. It didn't have RCA outputs at all. It took us six months to, to integrate that. So how we overcame was by listening. We had to integrate the feedback and ideas that we received, not from people testing beta products, but from people who won't buy the product because it doesn't meet their needs. 
how many employees make up JDS Labs today? So we're somewhat of a distributed company today. We have about eight people here in the building I'm in. Okay. The majority are involved in uh, production and shipping and fulfillment and warranty service. Then we also have freelancers scattered throughout the world. We've got a guy in Portland, one in Ireland, and another in India right now. And what do they do, those freelancers? So the, the freelancers all help us build the brand that, that we are. So you okay. see the, like the logo, you see the color scheme, the website. Uh, actually, a lot of the product appearances are all, all done by our, our team. And these people I wouldn't even har hardly call freelancers at this point. Uh, creative expert, we'll call it, in Portland has been with us for the past eight years. Wow. Yeah. It says something. So have you figured out now, I'm guessing that you can't do it all. You hire great people. You surround yourself with great people. And what is John's main, I don't want to say purpose, but main function of JDS Labs on top of, we know you run the company, but are you mainly involved technically or where, where do you contribute the most other than being the cheerleader and having, showing the direction? So the direction is both a huge challenge and actually the easiest part because you don't have to do it every day. You have to think about it. You have to grow and learn and integrate all these ideas and, and help people understand where they're going. But uh, today my, my operations really are still in customer service. And I've retained that position because that enables me to understand every single day how to lead the industry forward. When I... When I struggled, as I did years ago, to, to help the community, it was because I didn't understand what I needed to build. As I listen to feedback, every single week, it's a new surprise. So recently, people are really excited about PlayStation 5. They're excited about Nintendo Switch. And interestingly, there's, there's this, uh, this cross of people who want high-end headphones as well as PlayStation compatibility. So you know, we, we're constantly learning what direction the market is going. And I, I really don't spend as much time as you'd think in customer service. People all over the internet say, you know, John replies instantly within five minutes. And that is true, but it's also because we have done, a, I believe a fairly good job at keeping our, our quality high. So we don't send people dead products if we can help it. We try to be as clear as we possibly can in our frequently asked questions page and keep our products easy to use. So if you nail those, there's really not that much support that needs to be done. I don't think I've had to reply to an email all day, yet orders are flowing. So that's great. customer support's easy. Right. Are all your products tested? Yeah, yeah. How do and you test them? That's an interesting question. And we've been talking about that lately because they're tested at a number of points during production. The, okay. bill of, the bill of materials and the design criteria guarantee certain target specifications, if you will. So when a production batch arrives, we hand test a single unit to make sure that the production batch is mostly assembled correctly because things do go wrong. And if that test doesn't pass, then pretty much everything is going to, to be scrutinized. If it does pass, that's a good sign. Um, and by test, I mean, we, we now put it on an audio precision APX 555, which is one of the world's most advanced audio analyzers. We have a, a test set up for each type of product, like an amplifier or a digital to analog converter. And it's more or less a single button. So I don't even have to execute that now. I just hand off a circuit board to one of our technicians and say, hey, make sure this is good, run the appropriate test. Uh, they'll, they'll run the test, save it into Dropbox. It'll pop up on my screen here you know, five minutes later. Are you a fan of audio science review and other type of reviewers that really push measurements? I'm not. Well, I am. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was eager to say that. No, I, I really respect and enjoy what Amir does uh, at audio science review. He's a great guy to, to trade ideas with. He's been uh, a tremendous help uh, in marketing. And I like the concept. I actually, before he, he appeared on his website, thought, you know, I could probably do what he's doing. 
I've got, got the equipment, the knowledge. I could run a, a test review website and stack everything up in a bar graph and say, this is better than this, and here's why. Right. Um, having spoke with others in the industry, and this has been expressed by not just other companies, but um, you know, everybody's got a unique idea and a unique perspective. Uh, and that is the concept that some of the, the measurements do not necessarily correlate to any sort of enjoyment. Okay. So you can measure all day and you also have to listen to the product and understand, is this performing well objectively? And are there other areas that need improvement? So I, I, I really do like the idea of measuring and understanding benchmark, total harmonic distortion, cyanide, noise performance, jitter, output power, all of these important things. But ultimately, there are still a lot of things that can go wrong in a listening experience. And so much of that is ignored. So what I'm frustrated by now as a headphone enthusiast is the fact that it's difficult to convey how you're going to benefit from upgrading between an entry-level product and a high-end product because so much of that comes down to the feature set, the firmware that's uh, been written for that product, and its ability to mitigate transients and unexpected behaviors. It's not so much about how little distortion is present because frankly, the distortion doesn't matter anymore. It's, it's all insignificant. So I'm happy with, with the distortion levels that I see. We, we're at, I think, 119 dB in terms of Synad for most of our headphone amplifiers, which is fantastic. It was fantastic five years ago when we were seeing 113 dB. Right. Um, so it's really difficult to say, well, it's, is it better? Well, yes, measurably it's better, but it's not audibly better. Are you able to correlate certain measurements that you say while you're an objective person and an objective engineer that you're able to correlate something that you hear to what you haven't been able to measure or you can measure, right? Because for most people that are data-driven, they'll say, if it measures well, it sounds fine, right? So I'm asking you as a circuit designer and a manufacturer, have you been able to measure something really, really well, put it on your ears through X headphones and go, it doesn't sound very good. Yes, yes. And and why is that? And what, what is it? Well, let me say, I'm not I'm not suggesting that there's magic involved anywhere, that my ears are better because my ears are no better than anyone else's. And what I'm getting at is a different different perspective. I'm not trying to say, yeah, there's a subjective take to this, um, but rather I nitpick imperfections in the experience. Okay. And, and Benchmark does a great job of this. Uh, the, the company that's been in the pro audio industry for quite a while, uh, I'm really a fan of their work. And the idea is that there are certain characteristics that, that can occur in, in, say, a digital to analog conversion chain that actually do impact the listening experience. So jitter is, is one of the things that we discuss. And asynchronous operation is a great example of this. So if you have an asynchronous DAC, um, a lot of things can go wrong. One of the things we found in earlier designs with our JDS Lab C5D was the fact that if you listened under certain operating systems, occasionally there'd be a click or a pop. And what we would do when this happened to somebody would say, okay, well, sorry to hear that. Let's, let's help you out. We would disable asynchronous option, uh, operation and set the, the DAC to behave as an adaptive USB device. Problem solved. Hmm. So you can say, okay, well, that's potentially a design deficit. Sure, this was years ago. But that doesn't really show up in benchmarks. Um, if you test long enough, and maybe if you had averaging and someone triggered a scope or something, you could see that discontinuity in the, the timing, uh, but no one does that. And no one has a line item in their, their specifications that says, oh, well, clicks and pops might occur or not. Right. How do you quantify that? So those are the things that I'm interested in. How do you make the experience 
free of distractions and more enjoyable. Do those always translate to better sound though? I think they do. I think they do. We spent a good amount of time trying to add um, relay muting into a number of products because so many people would ask questions when you, when you turn the amp on or off, it makes, you know, a tiny little pop or something. And we had, we had great designs years in previous years in that nothing was going to harm your headphones, but there was a, like a tiny little pop in our first Seymour amplifier. There was a really tiny pop when you turned on NWAV guys objective two and a thump when you turned it off. And we just wanted to, to make that go away and make the, Sure. Make it sound more like, let's call it consumer commercial audio devices where those things don't happen anymore. Right. And it's also safer, right, to the user, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. especially with a headphone, right, being so close to your eardrum. It is. How about, though, so you're still not saying that if it measures well, it's going to sound well. And I don't mean about clicks and pops. I mean true subjective data, right, because we have right. to realize and i'm one of them that not everybody ab agrees with objective data oh absolutely it's certainly coming around and it's certainly better than it was certainly 10 years ago um but it's not it's not maybe how you and i look at it or certainly how i look at it and i do believe that you need to listen to something and enjoy it however i also believe that if it measures well it sounds good and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> You're right. No, I, I had I had not directly answered that question. And there are areas that I, I am really passionate about studying more. Um, in particular, I, I think that the DAC filters thing uh, is not well understood. So you see these larger companies like AKM and ESS intentionally designing filters. And there's been so much talk about uh, how digital to analog conversion actually impacts listening. And so we spent a number of years making the filters configurable for our customers. And the vast majority of people never audibly were able to differentiate. I know one guy, I'll, I'll leave it at that, that uh, claimed he could hear a difference between filters. But most of the community, passionate about headphones or not, really does not is not able to distinguish between different levels of harmonic distortion, different attacks, and different different filtering of a, a signal. Hmm. So do I experience anything different? Uh, I, I don't know that that's really relevant. I I listen to every single design for months before, it, before it's released to the public. Uh, we've got a box full of things that will never see the light of day. Um, I'm listening right now on my desk to a nice product that I don't know if it'll be on the market. Uh, the point is, yes, I, I believe there are, there's something to be said about this objective experience. And it's a, it's a, a real struggle to quantify everything. So I, I try not to think it too hard about it or overthink it rather. Understood. Um, I, I respect both sides. Absolutely. Okay. Do you agree that in the last three years, that China has had some of the best measuring equipment, DAX in particular, in the world for an incredible low cost. Well, and uh, and I'm going. To... I mean, if you go look at Audio Science Review and you see what what's towards the top, then by all means, yeah. Okay. Sure. sure. And I, this is a multi-part question, and again, it's not trickery. <laughs> Believe it or not. Going back to ASR measuring, and this is something that I have thought about, and I'm just curious to know your thoughts on it. If we have a benchmark, and I say benchmark in terms of what a mirror, say, will measure, right? And that's the only thing that he's measuring. And I'm not versed enough to say that there should be more or there should be less or different. I'm just asking you as somebody that does it, that all of a sudden you start getting the, having the potential for manufacturers to zone in on making those measurements really good 
because they know when it hits ASR, it's going straight to the top, right? And I come from an automotive world where it's all about the rules. So you can play in the in the sandbox and you can really excel at one thing if you really start working on that. So for ASR, we want really good sign ad. We can make really good sign ad if we really put all those eggs and all that effort into that basket, right? And I'm curious to know what your your thoughts are, if that's what we're seeing, or are we seeing, as I asked the question, that the Chinese are so good at their electronic design that they're passing all of us by in, in the US? Because my next question is, why doesn't a company like JDS Labs, who has the technical and the manufacturing side of things, which most do not, make a fully balanced D to A converter with a streamer, Raspberry Pi, say, that runs on Ropey in-house and sell that for $1,000 US because I'll just say it, the company topping is, sell, is killing it, right? They're killing it. So why doesn't JDS do something like that and open the market up to, to something grander? I think it would be a mistake if everyone focuses on the same path. Uh, sure, if if we wanted to, we could we could hit 120 dB or more Synad, and we made the decision that that's not what is going to benefit our customers. No okay. one no one came to us in the past few years and said, "Hey, I wish you had a higher Synad rating." <laughs> not a single person said that. Okay. Um, but sure, there there are a number of people that are interested about these measurements so i think it's more of a checklist now does your product exceed transparency criteria and then does it look like what i want to use does it feel like what i want to use does it have the right sort of inputs and outputs connectivity is really important balanced input matters to some people's it doesn't matter at all or it's actually a negative feature to, to others you know there's there's a product for everybody there's something that's going to to be enjoyable to, to use. And I don't think it's all about measurements. I really don't at this point. Okay. So yeah, we, we're not trying to compete. We're not trying to enter that, that race. We don't want to try to do what other people have already done because well, frankly, we led the industry for quite a while. <laughs> We've been at the top. We understand what it means. Um, and I don't think being at the top is, about numbers anymore okay it's not fair enough. fair enough and what about do you see jds labs going into the home audio market at all the home audio market uh most likely not. channel most likely not really that one is a very occupied space um i think we found most success in in areas that others have really not participated in and that that bit of logic applies to most small companies. You have to fill needs that have not been filled. Uh, the two-channel audio market is a very crowded market segment. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like the headphone market is really crowded as well. <laughs> well, it is now. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And it, maybe it's it's because you were the first to really mass produce within that market so you have a kind of a leap in it, right? You're you're still a leader in it and you have a brand that's very recognizable. So it helps where the thought of going starting over almost in an, in a way and going to a two channel market's probably a little frightening, right? Yeah, and there's it's not not frightening. Uh I don't know that that's the right word. I think it would challenging. It would be yes, challenging, we'll call it. You have to get your marketing ducks in a row and um, two channel to me is frustrating because I have right now a, a huge AV receiver that I've had on my desk for a number of years and it's not convenient. It has far more features than I ever need, but at the same time it gets the job done and allows me to listen to my, my speakers. The occasional request we hear about is, could you build a two channel amp, just an amp? That's all it needs to do. It just needs to have a volume knob and apply 25 watts or so to a set of passive speakers 
And the answer is, sure, we could do that. But when I look around at the, the available options out there, I'm not confident that we really would be pushing the market forward. And yeah. we don't want to touch a product that doesn't do something better or new than what has already been done. So JDS Labs is more about innovating in a market space that's non-existent rather than improving a current product. That is the idea. Yep. That makes sense now. <laughs> we got there. Well, yeah, it took a while, didn't it? No, it, but that's part of it. Where does JDS Labs go from here? Are there any plans that you can share with us? Any plans that I can share? So we are always tight-lipped about our, our roadmap. Uh, for for the time being, no, I, I don't I, I don't feel comfortable absolutely answering where we're headed. But I will say that I think I think we're headed towards the end of the the numbers race. Um, we've really outdone ourselves. Uh, we led that that race for quite a while, and I I think it's time to draw that that to an end. Okay. So what comes next? We'll you'll find out. Are you affected by the chip shortage at all, or do you have enough stock where it doesn't affect you? I thought we were not affected at all uh, until a few months ago. So we we had enough chips available um, in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, and we tried to schedule production runs about every eight to 12 months. So we have enough chips on order at any any time to keep us running smoothly for nearly a year. What we're seeing is the suppliers are struggling to keep their commitments. So yes, we are definitely impacted. We had to, we didn't have to, we chose to bump up the price of the Atom DAC Plus that we released earlier this summer because we're currently paying double for our USB controllers. And we're paying 20% more for power adapters and 20% more for passives and 10% more for the enclosures. So everything has inflated. And part of that is the fact that if you want to get certain parts, you have to pay more to, to, to get, get them. them. Yeah. Right. John, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And for everybody watching, please go to jdslabs.com and check John out and look at his offerings. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Find us on YouTube and Facebook at the Intellectual People Podcast and online at the intellectualpeoplepodcast.com. Check back for exciting new episodes.